If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. The King of Podcasts Radio Network proudly presents the Broadcasters Podcast. Here is the King of Podcasts. And welcome to the program. This is King of Podcasts here with you for another episode. We're going to talk movies right here on the program this week. The 2023 summer box office season. So far to date, I've watched 26 movies. And what can I say? I've been a little bit perturbed by Regal Cinemas right now because I'm trying to get myself set up to watch a few more movies this weekend. So I'm going to plan to go and watch No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. I'm hoping it's a comedy that's going to pay off. If you've heard me on this program in the last few weeks, I told you that, you know, the Burt Kreischer movie... The Machine did not do anything for me about my father with Sebastian Maniscalco also did not do well for me. I was not happy with either one of those movies. Those really stood out and really disappointed me a lot. Like, they were watchable, but I didn't laugh. And neither did the crowd with me watching. It's been an interesting year for movies for me because, number one, in the 1st of April... There was a change being done here in West Palm Beach, where I live, where the downtown theater, located in what's called City Place, which was a very big 14-screen theater, or actually was a six, it was an 18-screen, then it downsized to 12 and included an IMAX, an AMC theater. Well, it got shut down because of the owner of the Dolphins decided to build on that property new high-rises cut a $13 million check for the lease for AMC and said, oh, you guys can go. Well, there was nothing else to replace it. So the Regal Cinema, where I work, where I basically live on the weekends, they had their deal to where they had to go and pick up the slack. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy didn't get too much of that push, but Fast X did. And then Little Mermaid did. And Super Mario Brothers did, among others. There was a lot of movies that just came out that really pushed out. Now, of the movies I've seen this year, unlike others, I'm not just superhero movies. I try to watch other things. So what I'm looking at right now is my on my account at Regal Movies. You can see the last few months I watched John Wick our John Wick Chapter Four, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, Super Mario Brothers, Air, Renfield, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, Chevalier, Sisu. Agent was a was a Telugu Hollywood a Bollywood film, excuse me. Guardians of the Galaxy, Hypnotic, Blackberry, Fast X, The Machine, Kandahar. I watched a wrestling pay per view, which that's another story. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, just in June. I watched about my father, also in June. Transformers: uh, Rise of the Beast. I watched two weeks ago. The Flash. I watched last week. Now. With that said, I already have set up going forward. I've already pre-ordered for No Hard Feelings tomorrow. 
Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny on July, uh, June 30th, excuse me, and July 14th for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So that's, so you want to understand the kind of movie buff I am. Notice there are no horror movies in that mix. And among the other movies that are coming out very soon that I'm very interested in, uh, Kraken the Hunter, Oppenheimer, absolutely, Barbie, The Expendables 4, all those really interest me right now so far. That's what I'm looking at right at the moment, right at this moment. But, some of the movies that were expected to make a whole lot more money have not. They have come short. It's unfortunate. But let's look at what we have so far. There were movies that were potentially coming out that were going to really stand out this year in terms of superhero movies. Marvel had their movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And so far, if I'm looking at the list, $344 million it's made so far domestically. Seven weeks so far. You know, it's doing its thing. And I guess it's going to turn out well for that movie. I didn't watch Knights of the Zodiac. If it was around, I never even saw it come out. And I think it got pushed back. I'm not sure. A story from Phantom Wire talked about this. Fast X I watched. Fast X, in some places, some people say that that underperformed. It's made $142,000. $142 million, excuse me. And domestic and the overseas numbers brings it up to almost $700 million right now. So, I mean, it's not doing as well, but we'll see what happens and see how the digital downloads go for it. And if people are going to go into the cliffhanger that's coming up as well, that's what we want to figure out as well. Now, with that, after that, we had the Little Mermaid, which is underperformed. I don't know. I thought there were a lot of people that showed up for that movie because it looked like it did really well. I mean, there was a lot of people at my Regal Theater for the la- for the first two weeks of that showing. That was nuts. Like the first that that weekend of Memorial Day weekend was wild, and I remember going there three days during that weekend, and I was like, forget about it. It's just nuts. Now, so far that movie's just short of five hundred million dollars, and that's not good. And I forget what the production budget was on it. But if I had to go and look at what the budget was going to be, the reported was $250 million. It's not going to make it. It's going to, there's a lot of marketing they put behind it. So they're struggling to go and get their money back. That'll have to come from Disney plus. And then we get the Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which did really well. I enjoyed it. That got a big crowd for that as well. And so far, that movie's already pulled in $280 million, roughly domestic. And then if you put all the numbers together, $500 million, and they're only in the third week. It's doing really well. Meanwhile, The Flash, not so much. The Flash struggled. The Flash has only pulled out so far $142 million. People had a lot of hope for this movie. The Ezra Klein stuff that, or the Ezra Miller stuff did not help much at all with this. But where we are now, I mean, I enjoyed Michael Keaton in it. Sasha Kali as Supergirl. I liked her role. It was all good with that. But the movie lacked a lot. About $250 million plus there was a lot of marketing for it because they were marketing this movie well before last year. The restart of the DCEU, this was kind of just like they let it go. 
they had plans for how the movie was going to end, and they kind of left it as a standalone. So if we want to see Michael Keaton as Batman again, which there was a plan, probably not going to happen. And we're not going to see Ezra Miller as the Flash again. I don't think that's going to happen. I think those things are not going to come about. And that's where we are right now. Underperforming movies when it comes to the comedies. Comedies have hurt this year. When I talk about, about my father, $11 million it's made so far, $13 million total. And if I look at the budget on that, I'm pretty sure that put a little bit of budget in. I don't think it was that cheap to go and get Robert De Niro and Kim Cattrall into this. So that was $30 million. Ooh, that's not good. Oh, boy, that's not good. $29 million was the plan. And so far, it's made about $14 million so far. It's a tank. It's a bomb. And then as for the machine, if I look for that, I got to look all the way down the list. $10 million, it's made total. But if I look at that movie and see what it did, I'm sure it's not going to do so well. That was a $20 million budget. So the comedies are suffering. At this moment, No Hard Feelings has to be the one that really comes out and really pulls something big this time because I don't know what's going to happen. Now, at the moment, $20 million, or excuse me, the budget for that film was $45 million. And I don't know what they're, su- they're suspected of going to get, but they're going to have to hope for a lot. But I'll be watching this weekend. It's a cool premise. We've seen this kind of movie before. Never usually see it the other way around where it's the girl trying to groom the guy. Well, I mean, sometimes it does, but I mean, but they're not like this. this is, they, they kind of do the spin of what Can't Buy Me Love was or... She's all that. Why did I forget that? I saw that in the theater too. How can I have forgotten about that? Well, anyways, that movie's got to hopefully go ahead and bank out and do well. And as for the rest of the schedule coming up, the other movies are expected to come out that hopefully will make a big difference and turn things around for the summer box office season. Asteroid City is also coming out this weekend. I'm going to probably go watch that. As soon as I get everything all squared away with my... Regal Limited plan, for whatever reason, I couldn't book the movie because I guess my credit card, they took it off the account. I just added it in and I needed them to go and fix that part. So, and I've been with that unlimited plan since what, 20, oh yeah, 2019. I got into that. And thank you, MoviePass, for making that big mistake of making subscription plans a thing because it really helped out for me. Next week, Indiana Jones, Dollar Destiny, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken for the Kitties, and Past Lives. And then all the other movies coming up after that, July, will be a little bit quiet because you got Joyride and Insidious, July 7th, wide release. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, July 12th, but I'll be watching on the 14th. And then you got Barbie and Oppenheimer, July 21st. And then for Slam Dunk, Haunted Mansion, Talk to Me, are July 28th. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Rayhem is August 2nd. The Meg comes out August 4th. Gran Turismo for August 18th. Blue Beetle and Strays for August 18th. Oh, yeah, Last Voyage of the Demeter is August 11th. 
the Hill, Retribution, Whitebird, round out August. And we get to the Equalizer, September 1st, going into Liberty Weekend. And that's where we are. That's what's left of the schedule. So we got a, we have at least one more superhero movie left. Unless you want to count Indiana Jones, I guess you can, because that is part of like its own thing. And then Blue Beetle. Nothing on Marvel's end. That's where we're left with. So we have to find out what's going to happen all together here. But a lot of re, uh, a lot of sequels coming back as well. With the return of Mission Impossible. And then you're going to have the inclusion of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie's getting a whole lot of marketing right now. The music for the soundtrack is helping to get a push for that movie as well. There's still room for quite a few movies to do really well and stand out. But I want to go ahead and see what's going to happen overall and see what comes of it. But let's go ahead and look what the movies are actually doing at the moment and what we can expect coming up. Because when I think about my movie-going experience and I try to say to myself, like there was a lot of movies I saw that, you know, did not make any money. Sisu made no money. Kandahar made no money, but I enjoyed those movies. Blackberry made no money, but I enjoyed those movies. Air made not, didn't make the money back. A lot of movies, getting some movies out there, the marketing you could see a lot of things about. When it comes to the children's movies, the Elemental tanked for Disney. Another Pixar movie that just did not do well. They're, they're not hitting any real homers right now. Little Mermaid, Strange World, Elemental, they're not hitting right now out of the park. Disney's hurting right now. And you can see for a lot of reasons why. Even last year, Lightyear didn't make expectations for many people. And keep in mind, too, you had a lot of movies that were still on the shelf that should have been pushed out already, but they were all pushed into next year. Like, what was it? The Flash, Blue Beetle were supposed to be aired last year, but still COVID remained two years later. So movie theaters had to go and move things around. And then Mission Impossible the same way. Like, there's all these movies you got pushed into this year and crammed in, which is unfortunate because, I mean, for me, it didn't matter because I got to watch all these movies and I caught them and it was fine. A couple of Friday, Saturdays to watch, no problem for me. But they pushed a model, lot of movies over and they crammed up the summer box office schedule this year badly. Like, for Mission Impossible, they're going to come out and then you're going to have Barbie and Oppenheimer go up against each other. That's just a crowded market. And the truth is, they didn't have to go that route. Because you had February and March where you could have had some movies already launched beforehand, but of course some movies couldn't be done that way. But some movies could have had their own standalone spot of a window to really do something. Because remember in January and February, I was struggling to watch movies because there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. But now we're at this point and I can only hope that things can get turned around. So the story all across with movies right now. Well, Rise of the Beast, Transformers I watched, that's doing okay. When you go to that, the franchise so far, and this is going back to June 11th, by the way, $200 million before marketing was the budget. And first week it grossed $110 million overseas, $60 million domestic, 
And at the moment, if I look at all the numbers across for that, Transformers at the moment has broken $100 million, $283 million so far worldwide. So right now, it's struggling. It might have gotten a good start, but like I said, they're just breaking even. They're just breaking above even right now. They need more, but there's a crowded market for that movie to try to get enough people to watch. So they're able to go and do that in this crowded market. They've already been out two weeks, but look at all these other movies they have to deal with that are coming up after them. Are they going to have the time to go ahead and get held over and really make their money? That's going to be a struggle for them. And then I go ahead and look at another story that talks about their success behind this, but I'm not sure how they can say that. Because they're talking about how some of the summer movies are being cashed in and fueled by diverse stars. Now, here's what's being said. Back in February 2018, 35% of ticket buyers to see Black Panther, the original Black Panther, on the opening weekend was more than triple than what was expected. It was a groundbreaker. Blockbuster superhero film featuring a virtually all-black cast. The film ultimately topped out just north of $700 million. Top grossing pick of the year. And there's been a lot of that. We need proper representation. So Little Mermaid, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Transformers Rise of the Beast, Fast X have all had diversity across the board. <clears throat> but does that actually equal dollars? Does that actually cash in the box office? Because the truth is, Little Mermaid is falling short of their budget. Transformers is barely breaking their budget. And Fast X might have made some good money, but it's struggling. And it didn't make as much as it could have been. So here's what's being asked about. Movie going attendance stalled in the U.S. long before COVID-19, and studio executives understood that they had to make content for all demographics and feature stars who looked like all members of the audience. In 2019, Latinos made up 26% of frequent moviegoers, 18% of the population. Black consumers in 2019 made up 9% of frequent moviegoers, but represented 12% of the overall population. White moviegoers, 61% of the population, made up 55% of frequent moviegoers. So, yeah, all right. Making movies to go ahead and draw in different audiences. I get that part. At the moment, Rise of the Beast for Transformers, they're not expecting they're going to do a sequel right now. And that's a telling sign. Is it going to do really well or not? Little Mermaid has struggled badly in Asian markets, including China and South Korea. A racist backlash going on because Halle Bailey was cast as Ariel, and the fact it was a black actress instead of the when the animated feature was not a black actress. And then you have some Wall Street insiders in this story from Hollywood Reporter talking about that Hollywood's showing a willingness to make big budget movies that beggar better reflect the overall population. A good step forward. Industry is getting pushed back for whitewashing stories and need to better adapt to the realities of the world. Okay. So there's the first thought of 
why maybe the movies are not doing so well is because the audience is being targeted. Maybe they're not showing up enough. But that's the thing. If I'm looking right now, if you look at what they have, the representation of the audiences out there. So, of the white audiences, they're showing in this graphic here that Hollywood Reporter put up. More than almost half of the audience was white for Guardians of the Galaxy. Meanwhile, Fast X, Little Mermaid, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Transformers, Rise of the Beast, all were about a third of the audience. Meanwhile, the Spanish audience, 40% represented Fast X. And Guardians of the Galaxy, about a quarter of the audience. Little Mermaid, about a quarter of the audience. A third for Spider-Man and a third for Transformers. You know, they had Hispanic casted members in that audience. And meanwhile, for the black audience, you could put down, for Little Mermaid, 35% made up of the black moviegoers that went to go see Little Mermaid. 35%. And I can tell you, accurate. I saw predominantly black audience, mostly there for Little Mermaid. Some for Fast X, but definitely Little Mermaid that weekend, for the most part. But the thing was, is that you're also going after representation that doesn't make up the whole makeup of the whole movie base. Because, as they said in the story, in the let me just go back on the story, and I'm not putting anything about anything about diversity, equity, inclusion. I don't have any problem with that. But I'm going to take for the numbers. The Hollywood people decided, let's go ahead and make this point, and here's what they're trying to say. So they're trying to go ahead and make the point that COVID caused more a need for more diverse casting and more diverse stories and not so much whitewashing. Got it. And so they decided to go this route. But they're saying, according to the study that we had in here, Latinos make up 18% of the population. Black consumers make up 12% of the overall population. Asians make up 6% of the population. So to try to go after, what is it, 40% of the audience out there? We know there are just some people that are going to watch certain movies that are not going to be the same as it goes. But you're also talking about taking existing franchises, existing intellectual properties. And then you're kind of just changing things up because some people are going to expect, yeah, it might've been a mostly white cast, but that's what it was done before when they first did it. And then they bring it back and they decide we're going to do the same thing here. Like there's diversity for the sake of diversity. I mean, if it's not going to make money, that's a problem. But if the studios don't mind doing this because they feel like it's better for them and they feel like it's going to be something that's more important for them to, you know, for their integrity, their reputation, and for, you know, doing good, if they think that's going to make a difference, then have at it, if that's what they choose to do. I'm not sure what to think about all that, but it's what they're going to talk about. We talked about Disney Studios and their struggle right now. Pixar trying to get their box office touch. So Elemental 
collapse of the box office, the worst debut in Pixar's 28-year history. Uh, the ones that were less, uh, that were just a little bit better than that were The Good Dinosaur in 2015, Onward in 2020, and Lightyear. International markets did not watch the movie. Keep that in mind, too. That a lot of these movies that we just talked about that might have been diversity-friendly, they might have had very diverse casts and might have drawn some diverse audiences. On the international front, let's just say that international audiences like in Asia or in, let's just say China, South Korea, Japan, let's say Dubai, Saudi Arabia, India, they might not be so accepted to diversity. You know, they, they, they can see there's a thing where if a story doesn't get told the way it would normally be told, then that's a different story. And that's the part you have to look at, too. So the international box offices for all these movies did hurt at the long run. Disney right now hurting in the long run right now with Pixar and what they're doing with it. So they're getting an impressive streak of bad showings right now in the last eight years. And Pixar was the gold standard for family films. But right now, can Pixar restore itself? Now, Pixar has been struggling since the pandemic. Corporate overlords use the pedigree of the animation brand to prop up Disney+. And their new offerings, Soul, Luca, Turning Red, were sent to Disney+. And family audiences were accustomed to expect those movies at home. Right. So Disney made a play, a risk to get Disney Plus off the ground, and they're hurting for it now. So did people feel like Elemental was a movie they were going to go watch in the theaters? No. They probably might as well just going to put them in Disney Plus. And I think people are starting to realize the kids, that's the part you're going to talk about as well. Of some of these movies, where are the movies getting the children to the theater? Little Mermaid's supposed to get children to the movie theater. They didn't get enough. There were a lot of kids in the movie theater when I went to go see it, but they didn't do enough, right? It's an interesting story. Now, Pixar doesn't, another, doesn't have another new theatrical at least until 2024, when Elio, which is going to follow an 11-year-old misfit on an intergalactic adventure, will open on March 1st, and the sequel to Inside Out, Inside Out 2, is set for June 14th next year. So they got to find a way they're going to make their comeback, but they're struggling right now badly. When you look at the spider vans across the Spider-Verse, $100 million budget, animated, and they're making some money right now. So they broke down the whole story about the budget. Because it was a lot of animation, not any on stage, on camera kind of stuff. What they were able to go and do for some of the things that they did, they didn't have to part charge so much, helped. Jason Schwartzman, who lent his voice to the character Dr. Jonathan On, was compensated $270,000 for his voice acting role. Daniel Kaluuya, known for playing portraying Spider Punk, Isa Ray playing Spider Woman, were offered $400,000 each for the contributions. Oscar Isaac, 
who was Miguel O'Hara, received $400,000 for his character. In the animation, the film's animation budget, because it had a wide range of different animation styles, the budget was likely divided between animation studios and animators. Also, they had a part where the Lego sequence in the film was actually done by someone they hired, a 14-year-old YouTuber by the name of Preston Mutanga. And they're promoting Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. They put a lot of money into promoting it. Don't get me wrong. Plus a lot of things when it came to promoting uh, product placement. So the Whopper meal for Burger King, putting that out there to get notice about the movie. And then Air Jordans in the look of Spider-Man also coming out to talk about that too. Fortnite being involved in this as well. It's a lot that were being done and what they did. And actually, I never watched the first one. Because I didn't need to watch the backstory, I felt like. So I just went along and saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's good. Okay, I watched it. I enjoyed it. It was fine with me. And so let's talk about the DCEU universe and the struggles they're having right now because they are struggling heavily. One story came out from Movie Web saying, do any DCEU movies matter moving forward? We talked about James Gunn making the announcement of the change of the DCEU. The Flash was meant to be the end of the DCEU, a fitting farewell, but it's gone off with a whimper. The last two movies before the new DC plans, Blue Beetle and Aquaman and the Gloss Kingdom, are the two last films that are greenlit and ready to go. James Gunn says that Blue Beetle is part of the DCU, but Aquaman and the Gloss Kingdom have a connection to the DCEU. And the new plans, these are being announced, killed any buzz for the remaining films. We'll see if they're going to care about going to them and watching them. But there's a lot of struggle right now. The Flash, like we've already talked about, disastrous. And the Variety.com talked about the $1.1 billion problem for Warner Brothers. The Flash is the second of four mega-budgeted DC adaptations in the studio set to release this year. Shazam! Fury of the Gods, disappointment. Blue Beetle, Aquaman, and the Lost Kingdom. And yet these movies were conceived and greenlit by an executive team that have all departed the studio, Walter Hamada's team. And now the new studio chiefs, James Gunn, Peter Safran, have announced they will reboot the franchise in 2025, sort of with Gunn's Superman legacy. So the, the slate of DC films this year are orphans in a moribund cinematic universe, but they still need audiences to see them on a blockbuster scale. The production budgets and likely marketing spends for these four films will cost between $1.1 and $1.2 billion. Shazam 2 is already bombed. $133 million globally. Ooh, that's horrible. The Flash, $55 million in the U.S. and Canada. $135 million worldwide as of June 19th. Well under expectations. We already know that we're already struggling with things with Ezra Miller. 
He was out of the public eye since August with his behavior, his multiple allegations of misconduct, abuse, and assault, complex mental health issues. Warner Brothers spent a lot during the NBA Finals, and there were multiple interviews praising Ezra Miller in the movie. Gunn called it one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. And David Zaslav, a Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, hyped Flash's best superhero movie outright at CinemaCon in April. And they show a graphic of all the movies that come out and how much they struggled. And some have done better than others. And let's not forget Black Adam last year that also struggled. Aquaman broke a billion dollars. So did Joker. Batman close to $800 million last year. That was very good. And it's unfortunate not going to continue with that character. But everything else, under 400000 or I mean, some would get under the, around the $800 million uh, mark. But it's a struggle across the board. Because of how the Flash performed and how you know they went were out with the movie, that the superhero movies fatigue is real. They're saying Variety actually wrote that story. Comic book movies have infiltrated our culture and our consciousness to the point that they're now part of who we are. So, since 15 years ago last month when Iron Man was released in the U.S., superhero fatigue is palpable. You can read in the numbers, notably the post-pandemic figures, where you don't have to put an asterisk next to a full box office performance. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania opened huge, only to collapse and underperform to the tune of $214 million. Shazam's Freddy of the Gods tanked. The Flash also not doing well. Thor sequel from last year. Bad. Every genre gets old, this variety story says. And that the way even most the most convincing, invincibly popular TV shows get old. That's why movies are always changing. This big splashy Hollywood musical was a form that once seemed eternal until it wasn't. It's a telling sign. Are the superhero movies starting to become passe? People still want to go. People are still interested and invested in it. But the stories are just not as exciting as they were anymore. You just have a core audience that's into it, but it's not like it were before. Because you don't have an Avengers storyline right now. DCE, you're not doing Justice League and bringing all everybody together. You don't have anything like that that leads up to it. Not at the moment. And some of the movies you already had out there, you're going to have to reset the stories again. We've already gotten three Spider-Mans with Tom Holland. We've gotten three Guardians of the Galaxies. Are we going to do another one? I don't think so. Dr. Strange already seen it a couple times. We've already seen Venom a couple, Venom a couple of times. Ant-Man a bunch of times. Like, How much more is there? And that's a good question. And with James Gunn taking time off until 2025 they're going to bring things back up again, that's going to struggle. What are you going to do next? A lot of good points made. 
So now that we know what the superhero movies have done in the context, what do we have right now for the rest of the year? The rest of the summer, excuse me. So the box office forecast right now, we're looking at for Barbie and Oppenheimer. Those are the two next big movies, along with Indiana Jones, that are expected to really stand out. So at the moment, Barbie is expected to go ahead and opening weekend make between 55 and $85 million. Domestic total between 120 and $220 million. So right now, Barbie's getting a lot of performance right now on social media, a lot of promotion because of TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and other platforms. Barbie has a strong generational brand, as we know. You got Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, and also pretty much all-star cast featured in the movie as well. Young and old women should be really be in, into this movie as well. I mean, you think like a lot of moms with their kids, they would understand all having Barbie dolls or something about that. That should really stand out. Oppenheimer, there's a lot of push right now. The fact that this movie is very dark and it's also kind of like a horror movie because people are saying that they're being really stunned and shocked when they come out of that movie theater in the early screenings of it. So Christopher Nolan has really pushed out there. He's done some great work in the movies he's put out together. Oppenheimer right now can be one of the few thrillers aimed squarely at adults receiving a mass marketing push this day and age, and they've been promoting it for months, well before 2023 started. Pre-sales are now popping. Initial models point to preview results ahead of time of last summer's Nope and Nolan's own Dunkirk. Now, one thing you have to think about is that Oppenheimer's movie is going to be a three-plus-hour runtime. Keep that in mind. Men over 25 years old will be the primary crowd here. Source of crossover competition with Mission Impossible opening one week earlier. And they look at other movies that could be coming out that the the projections that are supposed to be well, how the movie's going to do. Well, any of the Jones Dial Destinies expected to go in between make 68 and 95 million dollars opening weekend. Mission Impossible between 65 and 80 million dollars. They're expecting for it. Oppenheimer expected to be between 40 and 55 million dollars. There's a lot of movies to put out there that hopefully will pass out good. And you're talking about, so when we get to July 21st, you're telling me you're going to be able to get a couple of movies that are going to go and break a hundred million dollars together. Two different audiences. Well, how will they do overall? That's the question. But it is a very interesting story to go and keep looking at. So that's the movie theater issue right now. Everything going on with the movie theaters and the movies themselves. I'm still kind of happy with how the movies have come out. Like, I mean, from the mindset of me being the subscriber, where I just go to movies on Fridays and Saturdays and just peck up on it, like, that's one thing to be said about when you're trying to go and catch a movie and you're like sending yourself, okay, I just catch movies just to catch them. And I mean, I don't even review these movies. I just go to watch them just to watch. And sometimes it works out that way. It's fine with me. 
It's at least some movie I'm going to go watch on the weekend. And I've done that almost every weekend. I've caught a movie, which is nice. But like right now, for me, I just watch movies just to go because I want, that's one thing for me to go do. Let's go catch a movie. But I can imagine when the price is right now, 12 to $16 for a regular movie ticket at night or an RPX ticket or 20 bucks if you want it for 3D and IMAX and all this stuff. Like I can imagine 25 bucks now for an IMAX ticket. That's not cheap for a family of four, family of five, whatever it is. Plus, I saw the concession prices, especially for Little Mermaid. When I saw how much was being bought for all those kids to be able to go and go to the movies, when the concession stands are making about, what, 50 to $200 per family as they're coming through to get their concessions after they've already spent $100 on tickets, Whew. that's some real significant money. That's like concert money right there, almost. So all of that really does stand out, and it's very interesting and important to go and see what they're going to do. So I look at those things and really just works out and just a lot of changes. We're going to stick with movies right now because there's a very important movie that came, a very important story that came out that really is getting people worked up. And that is Turner Classic Movies. So Warner Brothers Discovery has had some issues where they've been doing some layoffs. Well, that affected Turner Classic Movies. And now it's interesting when a franchise like this comes in. And movie producers, people that are very much invested in the movies and the kind of movies that preceded them before. There's an issue right now about trying to keep that channel alive because a lot of people are still very much into it. New York Times reporting on this. There's word that there's going to be no changes for viewers despite budget cuts across behind the scenes across the board for it. So let's look at what they're talking about. Tuesday, TCM jettisoned its five most senior executives through a mix of buyouts and pink slips. Warner Bros. Discovery promised that viewers would see little to no change on TCM. The channel will remain free of ads and they're Fully committed to the business, the TCM brand, and purpose to protect and celebrate culture-defining movies. Channel loyalists responded to cuts with Hellfire, interpreting them as a further marginalization of an art form and a personal attack. And so one writer in the New York Times actually says, Our cinemas have been overrun by superheroes. Our film studios have fallen victim to corporate consolidation. Filmstruck our streaming service for silent era gems and noir classics will shut down. And now you're gutting TCM, our last happy place where Orson Welles is mercifully alive and well, and Key Largo still counts as a summer blockbuster. Ryan Reynolds was on Twitter telling his 21 million followers that TCM was a fixture in his life and calling the channel a holy corner of film history and a living, breathing library for an entire art form. And so a lot of people went after Zaslav about this. Three Hollywood Titans, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, issued an unusual, unusual joint statement that they had spoken to Mr. Zaslav and were heartened and encouraged. Quote, we are committed to working together to ensure the continuation of this cultural touchstone that we all treasure. TCM has always been more than just a channel. 
a precious resource of cinema over 24 hours a day, seven days a week. While it's never been a financial juggernaut, it's always been a profitable endeavor since its inception. And the director said they spoke to David Zaslaw separately and together. It's clear that TCM and classic cinema are very important to him. The filmmakers said that Zaslaw privately reached out to them early in the week to discuss the restructuring of TCM. And they want to go and keep TCM's programming untouched and protected. So the bell tightening of TCM was more about preservation than annihilation, according to Warner Brothers Discovery's view. Ben Mankiewicz, Jacqueline Stewart, other TCM hosts will continue their roles. TSM will continue to pay for access to classic films from all studios. No plans to restrict the channel to Warner Brothers movies. TCM will also continue to be featured as a brand hub on Max, the company's streaming service. But people got really scared about the layoffs of all these executives and thinking, well, TCM's not going to stay the same. Turner Classic Movies, which is an important concept. They're not wrong about that. Okay, let's go into one more story before we go and get into the issues right now. Well, let's go to the strike. We haven't talked about that yet, but there's a couple of stories that came out about that this week we should go and make a point of. So we've already crossed the 50 days right now of the strike this week. And Riders Remains resolved amid hardship. There is some physical and mental picket line fatigue right now. So, Chris Kaiser, who's been negotiating for the WGA, says there's been a callousness on the part of the AMPTP for not returning to the negotiating table. After talks with WGA failed, they went and talked with the, WG, the Directors Guild and struck attendance to deal with them. SAG after now is working with the AMPTP. Actors Guild has already issued a straight authorization should talks go sideways, and we could find that as early as next week. All it would take for them to say, according to Kaiser, is we already have to, we are ready to have a conversation about reasonable demands and what we'll fix what's broken. They we refuse to do it. So the Writers Guild is being snubbed right now. And they're going to keep that up. They're not hurting so much with it. We know there's been some changes about it, but we'll see. I'm not going to rehash all the stuff about the Directors Guild to get the deal first and how this was done in 2007, 2008. Same thing going, but no significant changes right now with that at this moment. There's another story that came up from Variety talking about that. Still, there's an issue about the use of AI, and that's what the, Writer Guild, the Writers Guild really is worried about in their negotiations. Is one of the main tactics, and the AMPTP has rejected any proposals, and they're offering annual meetings to discuss use of of and advancements in AI and related technology. But that's it. They're not talking about the writer's rooms, all the other issues they're worrying about as well, streaming residuals, all those things, still being left on the back burner right now. And they're waiting to hear more about it and what they're going to do next. Let's move now into radio and what's being done so far. There was Radio Days North America last week. There was a quick overview that came out about it. Radio Insight actually talked about it. One interesting story that came out was this. First of all, was the AI technology. We talked about AI Ashley last week at the end of last week's program. 
Radio 1, BBC Radio 1, is not going the route of what American stations are doing right now. Because one of the things that talked about in this Radio Days convention was about how other broadcasters can take advantage of authentic human connections to better serve their listeners. So network head of BBC Radio 1 is Alan Hayden-Jones. He told the full room, excuse me, that Radio 1's mandate is to continue to serve younger listeners. His programming is focused on a Gen Z audience. It super serves with live artist appearances, fun contests to engage listeners, and a constant stream of new on-air talent that the network works hard to cultivate. Let me tell you, I listened to what has gone from here and what they said. It's fantastic, okay? What Radio 1 does right now with their programming, their talent is very good. They've got a very diverse lineup of programming. They definitely serve the younger audience. It can be done here. I have no doubt about that in my mind. Now, the fact that I see the issue of private companies that are out there that are holding on the stations riddled with debt, riddled with debt, by the way, but private equity companies propping them up. This is why I want the National Association of Broadcasters to get a hit and their lobbying efforts to fail so that the royalties are being forced upon radio stations to pay. Because if that's the case, then iHeart, Odyssey, and the other handful of stations owned by major corporate conglomerates were going to have to be unloaded. And local broadcasters will get a chance to buy those stations again. So Hayden Jones was asked about, can the magic of Radio 1 happen on a North American budget? He admitted the BBC has structural and budget advantages most of US, uh, most of us would envy. There are plenty of ideas about more realistic ideas from Canadian U.S. broadcasters to draw from, too. But the one thing I will tell you is I talked about this last year. Doing If Odyssey is going to go ahead and do what they did with their programming, where they decided to go ahead and let's just go ahead and you know, add some national across your top 40 stations. Let's go ahead and just add a host that's going to be broadcasted nationwide on all their stations and just go with that. And as far as I know, the Odyssey stations did not perform well. And so instead, now they're going to do more where they're just going to try to go ahead and do more on everything. Let's try to keep everything up. But right now, they're struggling. At the moment, I mean, for the most part, these stations are now starting to go ahead and take away some of the ideas they had about having particular people on to go across the board and say, okay, we're going to have some posts that are nationally broadcasting. And they decided, well, we're not going to do that now. Not so much. They changed that idea. I still think it can be done. But maybe people don't want to do that part and they don't want to go and go that route. But it would be nice to go and see that happen. I got one more story to bring up before we can wrap things up. ASCAP, one of the music uh, companies that handles things. The 
one of the largest performance, the, the largest, excuse me, performance rights organization by membership. They take care of the royalties for, for a lot of artists, along with BMI. And there's a story that came out, and Elizabeth Matthews, who is the CEO of ASCAP, actually has spoken about, with AI taking the music world by storm, businesses, industry groups, and artists groups are grappling with the challenges and opportunities the technology poses. And some are trying to make an effort to prepare for the AI-influenced future. So ASCAP is announcing a series of new initiatives revolving around AI designed to help music creators navigate the future while protecting their work. The ASCAP Experience. They're planning a members-only AI symposium in New York City, which will look at the broad range of opportunities and issues catalyzed by the proliferation of AI applications in the music industry. And they're also going to be running a 12-week AI challenge run by its ASCAP Lab, an innovation incubator, in conjunction with the New York City Media Lab, a project at New York University's Tandon School of Engineering. They're actually going to try to do something to try to go ahead and give awareness and try to go ahead and combat this. And by the way, ASCAP joined forces last month with BMI, the other major U.S. performance royalty organization, with a task force designed to address suspicious registrations associated with musical works across the collective management ecosystem. They're policing AI, and they should. And artists are getting hurt by Franco's role. They need to go and figure that out, see what they're going to do about it. All important stories they're going to consider. That's the show for tonight. We're done. I got everything in a little bit early as well. And so this weekend, like I said, I got no hard feelings. I'm going to try to see Asteroid City. A bit bummed out. I'm trying to go and watch an AEW pay-per-view, which is all elite wrestling, the wrestling company. And the pay-per-views have been running at Royal Palm Beach, where I'm at, at the Regal Cinema 18. But there's an issue right now where the Regal Cinemas, they can they have a promotions company that offers to go ahead and provide them the programming. But this time around, after they've already run the first two pay-per-views in their theater, they decided not to run the one right now. It's either I'm going to have to go to a Buffalo Wild Wings, which is not going to be a good experience for wrestling fans to watch at a sports bar. No. Because we all know wrestling is fake, and wrestling people are not going to watch at a sports bar. Like some places, other, other places around the world, maybe. Like if you're in Florida at a sports bar, you're probably expecting to watch a UFC show or a boxing show at a bar or any other sports out there, but not wrestling. So what they're thinking that this is going to work out. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be watching with wings, but wrestling with wings. I mean, I don't mind the food. I don't mind the experience. I just think that they're not going to treat the wrestling fans. Well, and there probably won't be a lot of people that will be watching wrestling at the bar in the first place. And these are things to consider. When I called, the two stores that are supposedly going to be running the event, the managers didn't even know about it. Oops. And then I wrote to the promotions company and explained to them, there's a problem here. Can you guys figure this out? Let's go ahead and get this all taken care of. So I wrote to them and they did write back to me in earnest. I'm glad that they did. So hopefully something will come up and we'll get some kind of answer from it. But, I'll let you know how the experience is coming up next week. Hopefully it's good. But me, I'll be at the Regal Cinema a couple times this weekend to watch some summer movies. Let's see how they do. 
crossing fingers, no hard feelings is going to be good. I hope Jennifer Lawrence can pull off a good performance. I want a funny movie, damn it. I haven't had one this year. And if not, I'm going to have to wait for Joyride. Well, we'll see what happens. That's going to do for the show. Thanks for listening in, as you always do. Make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can rate and review the show. Please do so. That would be really great of you to do. Feel free to go ahead and comment on the YouTube channel, of course, youtube.com, uh, at King of Podcasts. You can find all my programming there. And, of course, my website for the show, broadcasterspodcast.com. You can find all the past episodes, 282 episodes in total that have been on the show, and you can catch that as well. And, of course, I'm on social media. And by the way, other podcast channels, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Of course, I'm on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at King of Podcasts. And you can find the entire King of Podcasts radio network at kingofpodcasts.com. And until next week, remember that content is king, and the control of your content is in your hands. Thank you.